Our passage this morning is from Colossians 3. Everything in the chapter depends on its first clause. Since you have been raised with Christ. Paul is thinking that when Christ died and rose, he did not do it alone. Where the head goes, so goes the body too. And he's thinking also of being dipped into water in in baptism, going down and coming up. Coming up means being raised with Christ. And then he says, because you've been raised with Christ, keep the rhythm going. Keep on putting your old self to death and letting your new self arise. And all of this is rehearsal for the day when we actually die and the day in the general resurrection when we are actually raised again with Christ. So, since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above, not the things that are on earth, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you too will appear with him in glory. And then some verses about putting to death our old self with all of its greed and its lusts and covetousness and all the rest. And then verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint, forgive each other, forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these put on love, which binds them together in perfect harmony. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Since you have been raised with Christ, clothe yourselves with humility. I once heard a minister begin a speech by talking about himself for quite a while, and especially about his achievements. He said he was privileged to counsel senators and corporate CEOs. He said he was privileged to preach on five continents and to write books that were translated into 10 languages. He was privileged to perform the weddings and funerals of some of the most powerful people in the land. Everywhere he went, he was privileged to touch thousands of people with Words that were just so touching to them. In fact, all these privileges had touched him too. He said, when I think of how God has seen fit to entrust me with so many ministries, I just feel so humble. We play tricks with humility. St. Paul knew all about them. Chapter 3 of Colossians follows chapter 2. And by the way, the day I noticed that, it just made me feel so humble. (laughs) Chapter 3 follows chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Paul twice warns against what he calls false humility. And we all know some forms of it. False humility is part of our old self. False humility is the business we do behind our mask. People sometimes use false humility to fish for praise. We've all met people like this. They deliberately run themselves down in front of you. They say, oh, I'm so fat. I'm so stupid. I'm so ugly. And then they wait. They wait for you to shore them up with a mighty word. They wait for you to contradict them 
I'm so ugly, they say. And you say, well, you're not that ugly. <laughs> I, I know a guy that's even uglier than you. <laughs> Tricks we play with humility. St. Paul knew all about them. Here's another confusion. Humility has gotten a bad name because we have gotten it all mixed up with humiliation. Had this problem for centuries. Whites preaching humility to blacks, men preaching it to women, the strong preaching it to the weak. And the message keeps getting garbled on the way. It sounds like humility, but it sure feels like humiliation. That's why Jesus kept going after the Pharisees so hard. They were really good at preaching humility, but they always preached it to other people. So let me add a caution. To have the mind of Christ is to have the mind of a servant. But this does not mean that we owe submission to tyrants, foreign or domestic, people who want us to kiss their boots in the name of Jesus. Never. That's not humility. That's humiliation. We don't help people if we just reinforce their arrogance. We don't serve people well when we give them submission when what they really need from us is resistance. Jesus Christ took on the form of a servant, not the form of a doormat. And it's very important for us to preserve that distinction. You know, there are lots of counterfeit virtues around. Every virtue is valuable, and so every virtue gets counterfeited, and humility is one of them. We need to know what the real thing is. So what is the real thing? Humility in the Bible is a form of wisdom. It's the wisdom that knows that God is our superior, our infinite superior, and that others are our brothers, our sisters, our equals, our peers, our colleagues. Humility helps us situate ourselves in the universe with God as our superior and others as our peers. Or think of it like this. Humility comes from the Latin word humus. And what's humus? Soil, earth, dirt. The humble person has her two feet right on the ground. The humble person is down to earth. He doesn't think of God as his junior satellite. He doesn't think about other people as his inferiors. He knows God as his superior. He knows others are peers, equals, brothers, sisters, colleagues. The humble person has his feet right on the ground. He can look out at the universe and see exactly where he fits in. And so the humble person is not troubled by fantasies. Fantasies of being the superior of others. The humble person has her two feet right on the ground and so she can look out at the universe with a steady, realistic eye see exactly how she fits into it. She deals with reality, not with fantasy. Others are her fellow travelers, and she fits in with them
gladly. By contrast, the conceited person traps himself in some combination of narcissism and fantasy. The proud person is conceited, so he thinks more highly of himself than he ought to think. He's out of touch with reality because his view of himself is out of whack, out of line, out to lunch. He's unrealistic. And usually, he's also narcissist to some degree. He's self-involved. Self self-fascinated, self-centered. This is a person who leaves a meeting thinking less of what he heard and more of what he said. Here's a person who talks about himself for a long time and then turns to you and says, look, I've been rattling on about myself too long. What do you think of me? <laughs> All of this is foolish. In excelsis, the proud person has trapped himself in a childish need to toot his own horn. He'll find a way to do it, too. Anne Lamott once commented on this, that people who want to brag will find a way to wedge it into the conversation. They'll say, boy, you think it's raining hard today? I remember one year, I think it was the year that I got the Guggenheim Award. One year, <laughs> it really rained a lot more than this. Since you have been raised with Christ, put all this foolishness away. Clothe yourselves with humility. Humility lets us see life straight. Humility lets us see that God is our infinite superior and that others are our equals. Humility lets us lead a life that is realistic. Now, accepting that this is our place in the universe tends to yield certain habits of a humble person. And in the time that's left to me, about eight minutes, I'm going to name seven habits of highly humble people. First, the humble person accepts ordinary human deficiencies with goodwill and good humor. She isn't ashamed of her uncouth relatives. She's perfectly happy to be seen with them. If her husband isn't as smart as she is, she doesn't apologize to anybody about that. The humble person understands that we all have strengths and we all have ordinary deficiencies. And she doesn't think that other people's strengths make her look bad and she doesn't think that other people's deficiencies reflect on her. In other words, she doesn't think that everything out there is a reflection on her. She's free of thoughts like that. Second, humble people ask lots and lots of questions because that's the way of wisdom. Wise people get interested in things, they get interested in others, and then they start asking questions. How did you do that? Who taught you? How do you know when you've got it right? You think I could learn to do that? What strengthens your faith? 
The wise person doesn't mind asking a question that will reveal his ignorance. Doesn't mind it a bit. Because he knows that asking questions is the way of wisdom. That's how we learn stuff, by asking good questions. Third, humble people wait for an invitation to talk about themselves. They don't just assume that their lives are fascinating to others, and especially not if they are ministers. We used to say in the seminary to our students, look, if you're a preacher, a regular preacher in a regular congregation, mention yourself and your family in a sermon only about once a season, about four times a year. Don't assume that your life and the life of your family is intriguing to your whole congregation. Don't assume that. Keep it to a minimum. Preach the gospel. That's your calling. Not preaching about yourself and your family. I've got to tell you, though, that when it comes to my youngest granddaughter, all rules are off. <laughs> Fourth, a humble person is a good receiver. She receives good things from God and good things from other people with a glad and grateful heart. She doesn't think she has to be independent of God and of others. She's perfectly willing to be obliged to God and to others. When a gift comes, she receives it like an eager young child with a glad and grateful heart. Jesus said, unless you learn to receive the kingdom of God like a little child, you will never enter it. The humble person is a glad receiver of good. Fifth, a humble person does not try to make his children over in his own image. He doesn't think of his children as his invention, as his project. He thinks of them as God's gift and God's project thinks of them as God's image, and so he lets God have some responsibility for them. If his child leaves the faith for a while, he does not think it is his personal responsibility to get them back in line. No, he lets God have some responsibility for them. His children are God's gift and God's project. And I'll say that letting our children go, even for a while, is very hard. We want our children to grow, but we ache when they do. Sixth, a humble person is full of good humor and self-irony, and especially about himself and about his own humility. There's an old Mac Davis ballad that has the spirit of this exactly right. It goes like this. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror. I get better looking every day. 
To know me is to love me. I must be a whale of a man. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble, but I'm doing the best that I can. <laughs> the antidote to stuffiness is laughter. And the person who can laugh at himself is the person we all want to be with. Seventh and finally, the humble person is willing to confess his sins. We had a congregational prayer just a little while ago, and it was one of the most gorgeous prayers that I've heard now in some months. And you noticed that it ranged all over the universe. It dealt with congregational cares for Ivan Rest, but also with needs across the world, and it included confession of sin and pleas for forgiveness. Do you know how rare that's becoming in Christian Reformed congregations in Western Michigan? It's as if nobody sins anymore, so there's nothing to confess. But here in this solid congregation this morning, we were led in confession of sin and pleas for forgiveness. That's right. The humble person confesses his sins. And it's now rare enough that when we see somebody grieving over their sins, we notice. A teacher I know taught fourth grade in area Christian schools for 25 years, and one year she had a student I'll call Ken. Ken was on the ADD spectrum someplace, and his insides were so stormy that it was hard for him to learn in class, to be quiet and absorbent and to learn. So his teacher finally rigged a deal with Ken that when he got stormy, she would signal him and then he would take a little tour of the inside of the lower elementary building. Uh, it took about 40 seconds, 50 seconds. And every time he passed the, the schoolroom uh, door, he would signal once, twice, three times. And when he had done it three times, he'd come in, sit down. And usually that broke the spell for a little while. Well, one day, uh, Ken got stormy and his teacher signaled him, so he got up, and after a while, he passed the classroom door, and then he passed it a second time, then he signaled three, and he came in and sat down. And at noon hour, one of this teacher's colleagues came to her and said, I saw something weird today. Ken came out of your classroom, and then he went around the corner of the little loop and sat down. And after a while, he got up, and then he signaled at your door. And then he did that again. Sat down. Third time, sat down. What was that all about? And the teacher said, well, he's supposed to loop the whole elementary building, and he was just faking his loops and trying to estimate how long an actual loop would take, and then waiting, and then signaling. I'm going to have to talk to him. So after school, she talked to Ken, and Ken said, Ken, you didn't actually do your loops today. You just did the inner loop and then sat down. 
And you did that three times, and three times you lied to me. That's not honest, Ken. I want you to think about that tonight, and tomorrow we're going to decide how we're going to address this. He left, and after a while, a different colleague of this teacher came into her room and said, I just left Ken on the back porch of the school. He was sobbing. And I said to him, Ken, what's the matter? And I put my arm around him, and he said in a tone of voice I can't entirely reproduce, I'm dishonest. So I held him, and I said, Ken, you're a child of God. You have just confessed your sin, and you are now a forgiven lamb of God. you know what was going on on that back porch of that Christian school that day? That was dying and rising with Christ. That was putting to death our old self and letting our new self rise in resurrection power. That was Good Friday and Easter on the back porch of a Christian school. All because Ken had been blessed with the humility to confess his sin. Brothers and sisters, since you have been raised with Christ, clothe yourselves with humility. Humility fits people who have been raised with Christ. Humility is part of the family uniform of the people of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us sinners and grant us your peace. Amen.